Good morning. I really sense as I come this morning uh, a, a sense of inadequacy um, because this morning what I'm going to be sharing about and talking with you about, some of that stuff can be, it's calling, calling us up, calling us up to something that perhaps we're not doing at the moment. And when somebody does that, there's always a risk that it offends somebody. Now I want to start by saying, friends, I don't want to offend any of you. If you're doing some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about this morning, God bless you and keep doing it. So this is not for you. But it, this is a calling up of those who perhaps have maybe put this aside a little and uh, we want to really go after this. And when I say we, we I'm here really representing uh, the pastoral care team, which is Jeanette McKevitt, Bruce McKevitt and Mason and myself. And we spend a lot of time uh, during the week talking about the whole area of pastoral care, and we're going to be sharing a bit about that this morning. And so it also fits in really well with a sermon that um, you might remember that Trevor spoke, uh, shared with us earlier this year. And uh, some of you will remember that he talked about his, um, his lounge chair that he nicked from Viv's uh, lounge and was hoping to uh, rectify that. She's saying, oh, I hope I've got a better lounge table than that. But can you remember that the sermon when Trevor spoke about these four legs? I'm, I'm sorry, Trevor, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm sure we're going to get what some of those important things were. Can you remember what those four legs stood for? What are the four things? He was talking about the church, the New Testament church, and what were the New Testament church known for? There was four areas. Trevor, <laughs> they loved each other. Very good, Faye. Can you remember those teaching? Someone said that? Teaching, yep. Teaching, loving, remembering Jesus with communion. That's right. And influencing the world. Yes, that was mission. It was actually, he did it in two stages actually. He first said four that were, were known for in the, uh, uh, by a guy called T. Wright. But then he, he talked to us about four other areas which were, he felt were really important characteristics of the early church. And so, yes, certainly uh, mission was part of those first four. And the, but in the second four, he talked about another area which was teaching one another. Can you remember that? Teaching one another, because most of us think when we come to church, that's done from here. But today, we were going to be talking about two aspects of that. They, they couldn't help but loved each other. And you remember that in the early Testament church, they sold their possessions, and they lived as real community, so that no one amongst them was poor, and no one was rich. They lived evenly. They lived together. Now, we're not going to be suggesting that suddenly we all sell our position. So relax if that's a concern on your mind, all right? Because that was for a time. You know, when we look through the, the history of the church, we see God did special things at special times. And he causes people to do things that were unusual for other, other times in, in the church history. And so for that period of time, that was very important. I don't know where the Lord's going to lead us as a group of people in the days that lie ahead, but one thing that we are very sure of as a pastoral care team is that He really wants us to go after this aspect of caring for one another, loving one another. 
Now, what does love actually mean when we define it in this way? When I think of love, I think of how I feel about my wife and my children and my little grandy. I mean, can you anything but love a little child like that? You know, they, they say that love hurts. Sometimes when I think about these, these folk in my life, it literally does give me a pain in my heart because I feel so much love for them. Am I meant to love all of you folk like that? Is that what Jesus is getting at? That literally, you know, we, we feel a pain in our hearts when we think about the body? I'm not sure that's right because, you know, I personally wouldn't have the emotional energy to be able to do that. What about our friendships? Now, we all have friendships, and that's an aspect of love, isn't it? Is God calling us to love everybody as we would our friends? Well, one of the things I notice about the relationships that I have is that I've known them for some time. You know, I've built a relationship with them. We've, we've met in each other's homes. We've gone out for dinner together. We've gone to the movies. We've gone on holidays sometimes. Could I do that with everybody here? You can respond to me this morning. I think, you know, one of the things that I really love is having a little more of an interaction than perhaps uh, some folk do from the front. So can I ask that question again? Do you think the Bible's saying that we should all be really close friends, that we live in each other's homes all the time and, and, you know, we know each other like our personal friends? No. No. Okay. That's good. Thank you. Well, we're, at least we're on the same page. I, I'd like to look at what the Bible does say about this love. And I've got a number of verses just to, to ground what I'm going to be saying so that everyone knows that this is not just Ronnie Vink's idea, but it's something that Jesus came up with and, and the epistles. So uh, Tim and Mel, I wonder if we could have some of those verses up there. The first one there is and uh, Peter talking to uh, the church at the day. Now that you have cleansed up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. So this is clearly to the church, isn't it? This is not love the world like that. It's talking specifically about how we are to love one another in the body of Christ. Yeah, Love as if your lives depended on it. And in fact, might I say, and we're going to get to that a bit more, I think you're going to find after we've finished talking today that a good life, a blessed life, and by blessed I don't mean financially blessed or that sort of thing. I mean a blessed life, a life blessed by the Holy Spirit does depend on this. Can we try another one in Hebrews? Stay on good terms with each other, held together by love. Be ready with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why some have extended hospitality to angels without even knowing it? We're going to be talking a bit about hospitality because I think that's a really important part of caring. And, you know, I love this verse because what it says is, you know, sometimes you'll even be entertaining angels. I know that I've entertained people who are truly, you know, touched by God, if you like, some of the, through the years that we've entertained people. We've had some folk in our home that have truly been a messenger of God to us. And isn't that what an angel is all about? Yeah, They're messengers of God to us. And we have had the privilege of entertaining 
people who have, mess- have been messengers of God to our lives and deeply enriched our lives. And so what I'm talking about today is not to try and add another burden on our lives of already a great deal of busyness. But I want to, I want to talk about the benefits, the, the privilege of this caring uh, characteristic that God is encouraging us to be involved in. Can we try another one? In Romans, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. What What do you think Paul's getting at when he's talking, Honor one another above yourselves? Has anyone got any ideas? What does that actually mean? Honoring one another above you. Yes, Kevin. Preferring? Okay, so how does that, let's get practical. How does that actually outwork itself when you're thinking about someone else and you're thinking about yourself? Putting other people first. So that, to me, means, you know, the things that you would like to do, you put as second, and the things you think those people would benefit from that you might be able to do, you put that first. Does that make sense? So you're switching it around from what the world normally does because, let's face it, the world spends all of its time, you know, I, I forgive me, but I do spend a bit of time watching television and I tell you, everything that's thrown at me from television and the adverts at least is about putting myself first, isn't it? Yeah? It's always saying, you know, you'll like this and this will be good for you and this will make your life better and make your life richer or in some way benefit your life. Does it ever say, buy this so that someone else's life will be richer? It doesn't really ring, ring true, does it? You know, that's not what adverts are about. They're about trying to encourage you to do something that will benefit your life. Another verse which is, is really, I think, a wonderful incentive for us as the church of God to think about this area of care. And that's in John 13, 35. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see love, when they see the love you have for each other. Now we spend, I think, a lot of time as churches thinking about ways in which we can evangelize those who don't know the Lord, don't we? And I think Jesus is giving us a real key when he says this to the disciples. You know, I don't believe... Now, I know Christians move around churches and often an incentive is the the standard of the music or the standard of the preaching. But I don't believe people come to Jesus by either of those things. I believe the way that people come to Jesus is if they see the love of God outworking itself in the lives of his people. And you know, folks, there are people that come into churches every Sunday around, around Upper Hutt who are looking for a place where they will feel loved. Their life is in a shambles. Their life is, you know, they don't know the Lord. They have no purpose. They have no future. And the, the key to their finding Jesus will be the way that we express love to them, but also that they see that love outworking itself amongst us. It's a powerful example 
of Jesus, the life of Jesus, that will, will impact almost every uh, non-Christian who doesn't know him. And I just, that's one of the things that really inspires me because, I, you know, obviously we want to see the church grow, don't we? And finally, in terms of verses, I'd like to look at a, a wonderful progression that uh, Jesus gives us in John 15. Um, first of all, he says, can we just have that first uh, line up there? It's, it's, a, it's basically Jesus is giving us a progression of how we can experience relationship and connection to God, okay, and to Him, to, to Himself. So it's, it's, for me, this has been a totally life-changing uh, verse, for, uh, actually. It, it has changed the way I've approached life because I think all of us, don't we? We want to be connected to Jesus. That's why we're Christians. We want to have a relationship with Him. And this group of verses gives us a very clear indication on how we can do that. So first of all, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So basically he's saying, God loves Jesus the way Jesus loves us, and we can relax in that. Okay? So this is not a do this or else. Okay? It's not, Jesus isn't saying, if you don't do what I'm going to tell you now, you're out. I don't love you anymore. He's making it quite clear that God loves Jesus the same way Jesus loves us. And that's foundation. But then he says something very interesting. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in that love. So what is he saying here? That you will, you know, I just said that that was a foundation. It wasn't going to change that we will be loved by him. No, he's not saying that we won't be loved by him if we keep his commandments. He's saying that we will remain in his love. Because you see, what I've found is when I sin or when I step out of those boundaries, it's not that God's love for me changes. It's that my place with him changes. Because I no longer feel like I can come into his presence because I feel dirty. I feel bad. So he's saying, hey, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. You will continue to dwell in that sense of being loved by God. Yeah? Okay, the next line. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. Okay, next verse, please. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So, as I said earlier, all of us want to experience the joy that comes with relationship in Jesus, don't we? Is that why you're a Christian? Is that why you're a Christian? That's why I'm a Christian. I want to experience that joy. And so, what, I'm, what we're talking about today is about an extension to your life to develop joy, to develop the sense of privilege that comes from relating to God. It's not another burden to add on to our existing list. It's a way in which we can experience that joy. Okay, next verse. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And the next verse, please. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So a bit of a repeat from before, yeah? But what Jesus is getting at here is if you want to experience the joy that comes with a relationship with me and with, with God, 
then love one another by giving up your lives for your friends. Okay, so that's the foundation on which we're working on today. It's the reason why we as a a team have said, look, this is very, very important, clearly. And these aren't all the verses. There's a whole bunch of other verses in in the New Testament too about how um, the writers of the epistle and Jesus, in fact, encourages people to love one another. Now, this is not discounting at all the love of the community, please. But today we're just talking about his encouragement to love the community of God. I know that there's many people... Actually, I'm just going to get a drink of water here. I'm feeling a bit dry. I know there's many amongst us here who will share about the experiences of ways in which this community has loved and cared for them in the midst of one of their crises or when they came here first off. I clearly remember... The first Sunday we came back, we came here on the first Sunday of the year 2000. And Grant and Ines invited us to their home, and we had a lovely afternoon with them. And I think part of the reason that we are today, we are such good friends, is because we, we experienced something at a time when we were really, you know, when you walk into a church, that's a really important thing, isn't it? To somehow feel connected to that place, especially if there's a whole bunch of people you don't know. These folk came out of the woods. We didn't know them from a bar of soap, but they invited us to their home and, and, and really made us feel connected from day one. It's wonderful. God bless you guys. I know they don't like me saying that, but that's true nevertheless. So I know there's lots of stories like that and lots of stories when you've been through difficult times in your life that people have gathered around you. And so we're not saying we're not doing this at all. But as we've sought God and as we've prayed and talked, we felt that there were a few gaps. And what today is about is seeking to talk with you and share with you about, first of all, some of the ways we want to fill those gaps because they won't involve everybody. And secondly, we want to ask you to help us in this journey of becoming a truly caring community that doesn't have people falling through the gaps and feeling unloved and uncared for at times when they really need it. So first of all, we felt there was a gap in the way that we welcomed new people into our midst. Okay, so people, you know, come in. There's a, a lady today who's come for the first time, and she's looking uh, around Upper Hutt for a church that she feels connected to. This is a critical moment in a person's search. How will they feel connected to us? As I said, for us, it certainly was. So we have now developed a a little program, if you like, a little process in which we want to care for those people in a way that they feel special, feel appreciated, and feel connected to us as quickly as possible. And part of that process will be that they will be in people's homes, they will get to hear about our history, our past, they'll get to uh, give their thoughts on what's important for them in church life so that we know them a little better and can work to to achieve as much of that as which we can and then finally at the end of a process of some time and they're feeling more connected we want to introduce them to you as a as a body of people so that you know that these folk have said yes we want to be part of CFUH and you can continue that process of of connecting them and integrating them into our midst so we're very excited about that it's, going to, uh, it's already started unfolding a bit and it's going to be continuing to unfold in the days that lie ahead. 
A second area that we felt we could do a little better in was how we greet people, all of us, how we greet all of us at the door on Sundays. Because, you know, although church, you know, our community is very much more than about Sunday morning, nevertheless, Sunday morning is important, isn't it? How we feel when we come here is an important experience for us. And so we want to do some stuff uh, in the days that lie ahead, and hopefully you're going to experience that and say, wow, yeah, actually, things seem warmer here. Things seem more connected here. We feel more part of the body of CFUH. We desperately want that for you. You know, when I go away on holiday, I can say with absolute honesty, I think of you folk every Sunday that I'm away, and I think of you meeting here, and there are so many faces that I look around at, even as I'm talking to you now. You people are important to me. Now, I can't express that to all of you. It's impossible on a, on a real basis. But if we, as the body of Christ, can express that to each other, how good would that be? That people don't come into this place and feel untouched, unconnected, uncared for. I, and I know that I speak for the others of the team, we want that for every person that comes to this place. And so I hope, as I said, that you will see some of those things uh, in the days that lie ahead and, and that that will be good. But those are, those are so we've, we, we, sorry, I, one thing I forgot to say was that last week we met with the greeters and, and some of those issues, those, those areas that we're going, uh, greeters and morning tea people, some of those areas we're going to change and came directly from that group and it was great to meet with them and again we want to thank those folk who came to to share those ideas and but you know those are groups within the church and caring for people in those ways we need to also encourage all of us or what we want to do is encourage all of us to to be more caring uh, of other folk and there are a couple of areas particularly that we wanted to raise with you and, uh, and um, talk a little more about. The first area is how, once again, how we interact on Sunday mornings. Now, the last thing we want to sound like we're saying is that Sunday morning isn't partly, and a good deal, in fact, about meeting our friends, you know, meeting our home group, uh, meeting other people we know well here. And I love it when I see us as a body, talking to us as a body. You know, that's really important. But what we're wanting to ask you to consider is opening those circles of relationship for other people. You know, when you're standing there and there's two or three of you and you're having a chat and you're talking about the stuff that you guys or you women talk about, whatever it might be, and you see someone walk in on their own, rather than just allowing them to, invite them into your circle. Yeah? The benefit of this is twofold. First of all, you're not having to suddenly think of the whole conversation process all on your own because you're already talking and the stuff that you're talking about and it, and it doesn't become a bit of an inquiry situation. You know, it's, I know sometimes for myself when I'm meeting somebody new or I'm talking with someone, you know, I'm, I'm asking questions. I'm thinking, gosh, I sound like I'm an interrogator here. You know, I want to find all about what's going on. Straight up, if you invite people into your circle, 
and you just carry on the conversations you're doing, you don't have to ask all those questions and they don't have to feel like they're on the spot. The second benefit of that is that straight away they're feeling part of a group. Yeah? They're no longer here on their own. They're standing talking with you. And once again, I don't know how, if you remember how you felt when you were fairly new here, because some of you have been here for a long time. But when you're new in a place or fairly new in a place, then to be part of the group, a group, is an incredibly important experience. And so, you know, we're wanting to ask you folk if you will start to think a little bit more about that concept, just opening the circle of your relationship. When you're in the morning tea room and you're sitting around a table, try not to have just the number of seats of your group around the table. Have two or three chairs extra. And so that if someone walks in, they can come and sit with you and join with your conversation. Even if you don't know them all, get somebody to maybe invite them in or something like that. This also extends in terms of how we sit. You know, sometimes people sit on their own. We'd love it if folk would say, hey, why don't you come and sit with us? Or you go and sit with somebody who is sitting on their own so that they don't feel alone. Because that's, that's the feeling we want to try and avoid as much as possible. The second area that I mentioned earlier that we'd like to really encourage more of is this whole area of hospitality. There's something special about being invited into someone's home. You know, I was brought up in a home where mum was an extremely active hostess. We would regularly have up to 50 or 60 folk in our home from the church, from various groups that we would have, and mum would cook for the whole lot. She was amazing. And, you know, we went to a, um, a reunion um, 30 years or 25 or 30 years after we were in that stage in our life at that church, and the number of folk that got up and said to mum and dad and uh, two other couples that were also very actively involved in, in hospitality, how much it meant for them to be brought into their home and to be um, encouraged in whatever situation they were going through. So much we feel this is important that we want to talk a little bit more about that this morning because we recognize that people have barriers to this. And so I've asked uh, uh, Kumadini and if one or two others if they will hand out some sheets of paper. Hello, Kumadini. Could you do that? Hand out some sheets of paper, and if you haven't got a pen. And we are desperate to find out what the barriers are to you inviting people who you don't know now. So we're not talking about your friends, sorry, I should just clarify that. This aspect of hospitality we're talking about is those that you don't know of, those that you wouldn't class as your friends. So these are folk that you don't know particularly well, and it's a way in which you connect with them, uh, maybe for the first time, or you know, maybe you've met them once or twice here at church, and bring them into your home and experience the joy and the privilege of connecting with somebody around a meal in the environment of your own home. We're going to hand out those papers, and I wonder if you could give us some idea of the challenges that you face in doing that. Because we believe that if we think creatively, that there will be answers to, to many of those challenges. And we want to be able to bring those you know, out as much as we can. 
So let's take just a few moments in doing that. If you've got a bit of paper, that's fine. A pen, just write down some of your thoughts. If you're already doing it regularly, then just say, already regularly inviting people. That's great. We, we know there's people doing that. Talk amongst yourself if you want to. Get ideas. You know, for you young people, it might not be inviting people to your home because mum and dad might not be so happy about that, but it could be inviting them to a cafe and, you know, or, you know, going somewhere else. What are the barriers that stop that from happening? Has everyone got some paper and a pen? If you haven't got a pen, just put your hand up. So is everyone clear what the question is? What are the barriers that prevent you from inviting people you don't know really well, you know, the, the, your friends, other people other than that? What are the barriers that pre- stop you from inviting those folk into your home? There's a lot of laughter going on over here, guys. What's the story? We're drawing pictures instead of pens. <laughs> oh, no. They look as though they're working. Do we need more time or are we done? You need more time? More time? Okay, that's fine. Maybe we could grab those little baskets and if you just fold your papers up and when the baskets come around, you could pop them in there. They don't have to be named. We're not, we're not wanting to quiz you later. We're just wanting to get ideas, thoughts. Fold them up and you can put them in the baskets as they come around. Awesome. Can I have the sound back, please, Joe? Am I, got, am I going again? Can I thank you in anticipation for your thoughts and ideas in that? We will gather them together and we will look at those and we intend to come back to you in the days that lie ahead with any ideas that we might have to help, those, those barrier, to help us overcome those barriers, yeah? Just in closing, I'd like to leave you with another verse which um, speaks to a little, another aspect of all of this. Uh, Romans, have we got Romans 12 up there? Can we read through this together? So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Now, folks, in this day of Facebook, social media, and all of that sort of stuff, we think we have a lot of friends when we've got 70 Facebook friends or 150. Let's ask some of these folks. How many Facebook friends have we got here, folks? What's the number? Has anyone got... More than 500? Has anyone got more than 1,000? Oh, my goodness. I can understand that about Shannon because she's a very friendly person, but 1,000 friends? That's 
You know, that's 10 times almost the number of people here. (laughs) But in this day and age, folks, we think that we are connected when we've got Facebook friends. But in reality, the world that we live in, particularly the Western world, so we're talking now, you know, America and Australia and New Zealand and all that sort of stuff, we are less connected than what any of our, you know, like than our parents were and, and other generations were because there is so much demand on our visual time that we spend it in front of computers and televisions and work. And so people are not building true relationships. Amongst the men, I regularly, when I connect with guys, I ask them, have you got a good mate? Somebody that you could ring up at any time when you're going through stuff and say, can we have a coffee? I'm going through some stuff. Somebody who would support you through difficulties that you might be going through. And I am astounded and deeply saddened by the number who say no. I think it's less with women because they have a natural ability to share their hearts more easily and more readily with other women. Because it does take that, doesn't it? To become a friend of somebody, you need to be able to go beyond the surface and start to connect with them at a a deeper level. So the culture, oops, we've lost the verse. The culture we are in is separating. The culture we want to develop in church is connecting. It's counterculture. And Paul is saying here, folks, you know, I don't know what specifically he, area he was talking about when he was saying don't fall naturally into the things of this world. But this is an area that we in the Western world and, and in the Western church have to really look at. You know, both sides of the equation. Now, I know some people will be looking at me and say, Ron, you're a people's person. It's easy for you. But, you know, it takes two in this situation. It's not just people instigating discussion or instigating connection. People have to respond to connection. So I'm not suggesting that all of us need to become proactively connecting with others. But when others connect with you, how are you going to respond to them? When someone says, why don't you come and sit with me today? Or when someone invites you into the group, are you going to stand there like a dishcloth and say, yes, no, maybe? Or are you going to open up and just open yourself up a little and allow yourself to be known a little more? You know, it takes both sides of the equation, friends. And so I'm calling you up this morning as my body of Christ, the people who I love, and care for, can we together seek to throw off this horrible, insidious cultural thing that is happening in the world around us and start to break those barriers that are between us and include people into our circle rather than maintain the circles you've got and just leave it at that? Could we do that? Could we do that, friends? Yeah, I think we could do that, you know. But it is going to require the Holy Spirit. And it's going to require us getting up when we've been hit. My, my darling, she came home last Sunday and said to me, um, you know, I went up to this person and she's been in our home and I started talking to her about something, you know, her job or something like that. 
And she says, no, no, I think you've got the wrong person. That happens. Sometimes, you know, in a group of 150-odd, 200 people, you get it a bit mixed up. I understand that. And so, you know, it's going to be hard for Misty to go and see that person again. But you have to break through. You have to keep going. I know people introduce themselves to me. And then the next Sunday, they've gotten their name. And what do you tend to do in a situation like that? Oh, I better not go and talk to them because they know I should know their name, but I don't, so I'll avoid them. Isn't that true? It's so easy to do this, friends. And it's what we do naturally. And yes, I think there's ways we can help and improve that. But at the end of the day, it's going to take us saying, God, with your help, with the Holy Spirit's help, because this is a spiritual thing. Because the devil would love to see us individualized, you know, living our separate lives. But it's, we were built, God built us for community. He's a communal God, you know. Right from day one, there was three of them. Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father. They're a communal being. He built us for community. We work best when we're in community. It's good for us, not just the people that we're in community with. And so that's my prayer for today, is that together we will start to seek God in ways in which we can surrender some of the stuff that is holding us back and ask him to help us to connect with people. In closing, I'd like to play this wonderful song that I've heard, I've, I've picked up on the internet from the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. They sing it so beautifully, but the words are amazing. And so they're going to be singing in the background while the words come up. Take a moment to make this your prayer in this area of caring for one another.